Well, good morning. I would introduce myself as Roger Smith, but I don't want to insult him that way while he's not away, or while he's away. I am Rick Kinsler, and I've been coming here for a little over a year now. And uh, tell you a little bit about my story is uh, I gave my life to Christ in 1977, Easter Sunday in 1977. The age of 11 years old, wasn't in a family that really talked about gospel or Jesus or things like that, and shortly thereafter, I, I wanted to share my faith with aunts and uncles and things like that, and I was immediately reprimanded about not pushing your beliefs on other people as a kid, and, and I didn't quite know what to do with that. Uh, I would learn later on, and then uh, in the, the era of the 80s, kind of took a, one of those prodigal son journeys, said, you know what? I think I'm going to go check out some other things. Met and married my wife, Sonia, during that time. And got involved in music. And was pretty much living the rock and roll lifestyle, which includes all the things that go with it. And back in 1992, Sonia moved back here to Kansas City to divorce me. <laughs> and rightly so. Uh, but... To show her God had changed some things, God asked me a question. He said, how are things doing it your way? I said, really not that good, God. Uh, at the time, I was about ready to lose my house. My car got repoed. And a lot of financial, because spending money on things you shouldn't be spending money on. And he said, are you ready to try it my way? What I didn't know that day was I was laying out in the yard with looking up at the clouds and the stars. I didn't know the Bible said this at the time, but... Psalms 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. You can't get away from his word. He speaks to you from the heavens, even if you get away from his book. I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to follow you, Lord. You know, like the prodigal son, I said, do with me what you will, because I'm not worthy to be here. And I know that. And God, uh, not, only, not only did he teach me some things, but he called me into his work of the ministry. This morning in Scott's class, in our fellowship class, uh, he didn't know it, but he brought up 2 Timothy. That's the very first sermon, the book that I preached from, the very first sermon, way, way back in the early 2000s. It's also where God gave him my charge, and his charge is to preach the word. The instant, in season, out season. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. And so... Long story short, jump over a lot of years, I was hauling fuel in, in the 2000s for a trucking company, and if you all have been here and you've bought gas at any of the stations in this town outside of the brand new ones or Casey's, then you probably put gas in your car that I brought you. And that's how I became familiar with Pleasant Hill. <laughs> then we met our friends, Connie and Bob, they're in St. Louis today. Their family is here. Good to see you guys. And we became very good friends. And I felt like God was moving me to Pleasant Hill. So in 2018, bought, bought a house here. Didn't know where I was going to go to church. Had just come off a pretty bad experience um, with one that uh, that's no longer here on the earth. <laughs> And 
And so I wasn't real excited to get back. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to hang out for a little while. Well, then one day, uh, my friend Connie invited me here. Well, who's the pastor? Well, I don't know. Let's go see. Well, Greg Bull was preaching that Sunday. I know Greg. I've known Greg for years. And he was talking about this new pastor coming in. And then here comes Roger, and I got to meet Roger, and we hit it off, and I've, I've worked with Roger with the youth upstairs for a little while. And then I really felt pulled back into music, got with Paul, and uh, you guys are seeing me playing guitar up here. And that has all been very recent. And then uh, Roger asked me a few weeks ago, hey, I, I know you've had a history of being a lay pastor and an associate pastor mind bringing the word on the 30th of July. I said, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, I'd love to. Um, I'm here to help Roger with what he's doing here because I believe what Roger is doing here is in accordance with what Jesus would have us do here. You know, Paul would say things like, be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. So that's a qualified statement. Don't just follow me. He said, as long as I am as Christ, if I, if I go and make a left turn, don't follow me. And that's what he would tell the Galatians. He said, you know, though we or an angel from heaven or anybody else preach any other gospel than the one we pre preach to you, let him be accursed. And he included himself in that. He said, hey, if I go a different route, you don't follow me anymore. And then Preston spoke last week. That also tied into 2 Timothy. I saw Preston here earlier. But... Oh, there you are. I'm getting a glare off the light. I couldn't see you. But, yeah, so 2 Timothy came up. So it's, it's not a, it was confirmation for God for me that, yeah, this is what he wanted me to do this morning. And it's, it's of God. Um, and, and he showed it to me in, in many ways. And I don't think it's an accident that he brought us here in 2018. I did not know the things that had befallen this church prior to that. And, and so God was even ahead of all of us in, in prepping folks to, to be here to minister with you and, and to you. What I want to talk about today is, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to talk about what do you, what do you preach about in a one-off. And what I mean by a one-off is, you know, if you're, if you're the senior pastor, you, got, you can do your series and like Roger's working through Ephesians. What do you preach about? If you come up here, you get, you're getting one message. And what I believe that God would have me preach about is, uh, Jamie talked about the discipleship. And we've got the three books. We've got knowing, growing, and going. And so Sonia and I are going to be leading up the, uh, the growing. Well, as I thought about that, I went to this, went to Rome. Romans came to mind immediately. Now, Rogers got us in Ephesians. Ephesians, the church in the heavenlies. Romans is on the other end. Romans is the book that has us being planted, rooted, unified, and fruitful. So heaven, heavenlies up here, Paul said, hey, Romans, I want to drill you into the ground so you're never moved. And as I thought about that, I, I want to share some things I learned this morning. Islam is the fastest growing religion today. 
Christianity is not. In the United States, churches are closing in record numbers. 16% of all people polled say religion is important. 16%. Less than 50% say that it's most important. So now you, when, I, when it says less than 50, it, it's less than 50% of the one of the 16%. So you're way down there now. 24% say that they are following a different faith now than the one that they did before. With most confessing leaving Christianity. You know, 2 Thessalonians says something about that. 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 and 2 talks about a great falling away. Something's happening. And that's what, as I sat and meditated and talked with God about that, that's where he brought to my mind being planted, rooted, unified, and fruitful. Because the Pauline epistles present the calling hope and destiny of the church of Jesus Christ. What we see in the four Gospels is, is we see the person and work of Christ closing with his death, burial, and resurrection. Then we get the book of Acts. That begins with Jesus' ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Peter is the primary focus early on in the book of Acts. But in Acts 9, we're introduced to another guy named Saul. You read in Galatians, Paul says, you know, Peter was the apostle to the circumcision. That's the Jews. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And lo and behold, you get to the end of the book of Acts, and it has the Apostle Paul arriving in Rome, and after mixed reception of the gospel of Jesus from the Jews, Paul, citing Isaiah 6, 9 and 10, declares that the gospel would be going to the Gentiles and that they would hear it. In the Pauline epistles, the doctrinal revelation and theological significance of everything I've just said, he expounds on. He expounds on what's going on with Israel. He expounds on why we're here, what's going on now, and he expounds on the things that are yet to come. Well, as I looked at these studies on Christianity, it's, I mean, it, we're losing churches at record numbers as far as, as you know, the, the, I call it the visible church, you know, the professing, and, and just, you know, just because a, a, a building is around or a denomination, obviously not everybody in there is the true church, it's, it's those are true believers, but I said, man, you know, something's going on, and then that's when I came to Romans. So Romans 1, 11 through 13, look what Paul says, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was let hitherto, that means hindered, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. 
And from these passages, we learn that Paul had heard about the faith of those believers in Rome. And he desired to establish him. The word establish means to plant, to set fast, to literally turn resolutely in a certain direction. To set you so that you do not move. And I thought, wow, you know, the way people are walking away from Christianity, what are we missing here? Then I started doing a study on the Roman culture. You know, the Roman culture is everything we've got today. Everything. Uh, one of the contemporaries of Paul's days was the politician in, in uh Stoic Seneca. Seneca made famous the saying that uh, to, the, to the wise, or to the rich and to the wise, uh, religion is false. To the poor, religion is true. To the politician, religion is useful. Think about that one. Think about that one. Uh, you, you had many temples in, in Rome, the predominant ones at that time, Castor and the, the temple to Saturn. The Colosseum wasn't built yet. So if you think about those kind of grandiose, it, we weren't there yet. Nero had not lost his mind yet. Uh, he would soon. And I share all that because other aspects of Rome, you know, they, they guesstimate Rome at that time was somewhere, anywhere between one to three million people. You know how many people in Kansas City today? Kansas City area? 2.2 million. Uh, riches went from belonging to only Roman citizens to people from the outside empires coming in, flooding into Rome. And now the wealth was being spread around with those people. And Rome, literally, the Italians, lost control of the government. What, does this sound familiar? Watch the news. Flood of immigration coming in. Government changing. It's like, wow. So Paul writes to the church at Rome. This is a different church, by the way. He didn't, this is the one church he didn't establish. He'd never been there. When you read Colossians, he, 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 established, he founded that church read Ephesians, he founded that church. Rome's different. He said, I've never been there. But I, I want to share something with you. But in that statement that I read that goes back into what Roger's really been talking about is what was shared in the passages that I shared with you. See that phrase that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me? What do those three phrases have in common? Comforted together, mutual faith, you and me. Unity. Unity. I was amazed years and years and years ago when I picked up a phone book and was looking for a church. This was way, way back. I was blown away with how many different churches there are in, 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 in the phone book that are separated. And, and when I would try out different churches as I was learning 
you know, well, we're not this because we don't believe that. We're not this because we don't believe this. We don't. And I was like, this is wild. Um, most of the division is, is over things like church government, uh, Baptist, baptism is an issue. And I thought, you, you, you do know the scripture says that nobody, nobody can confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God except by the Holy Spirit. It means if you can say that, understanding what it means, that he is God in the form of a man, we are brothers and sisters. The other stuff, as we talked about in our class, the, the fellowship class this morning, is growing stuff. And at some point, people decided we're going to split and point fingers at our brothers and sisters over certain issues. Now, don't get me wrong. There are definite, definite dividing lines. There are, there are definitely those. You know, One, for example, if you want to know why, when a Mormon says, well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, they don't believe he's what you think he is. They also don't believe in God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They do not think the Holy Spirit's a person. Those are dividing lines. That's why they're considered a cult. While, say, the Presbyterians or the Methodists or whoever is, is not. But we shouldn't let these things divide us. And what's interesting about this passage is the word established, as I said, meant to plant and set fast, turn resolutely in a certain direction. The passage does not say that I may establish you. It's passive. That's significant. You know why it's significant? Because the focus is not on Paul giving them something. The focus is, you know what? I love you. That you may be established. Not about me doing my thing, you know, for you. It's about you getting established. And unity is a part of it. Roger shared from Ephesians 4.3, not too long ago, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's very important. The reason it's very important with this thing about unity is a tree drops its fruit with the seeds, and trees of like kind are born from it. In Paul's case here, he wants to give them a like mind. So let's look at the ABCs of the Book of Romans. ABCs of the Book of Romans. And some of this might be a little small. I apologize, but I'll go over it with you. <laughs> the word Romans comes from the, the uh, Greek word to, to strengthen, to have health. The author is Paul. We see that in 1-1. Background. Historical, doctrinal, inspirational. Historical is what it sounds like. It's Paul's epistle to the churches in Rome. Doctrinal is what's the overarching teaching in Rome, in, in, the, in, the, in the Romans. Revelation of the mystery of salvation to the Gentiles. That's why you have three chapters in the middle of Romans 9, 10, and 11 where he's speaking to Gentiles. Hey, you Gentiles, you non-Jews, I want to explain to you what's going on with the Jews. Inspirational means, so, so what's the use of it for you and me? To establish believers in the, fame, in the, in the faith. To establish. Plant you down so you're not moved. Christ is seen as our righteousness in Romans 3, 24 and 25. You can also find that in Jeremiah 
where he's called the Lord our righteousness. He's our righteousness. I am righteous not because I'm this great guy and done all these wonderful things. I just shared with you, she moved here to divorce me. The, the good that comes out of me now is Christ in me. He is my righteousness. He restored our marriage. I dumped that music lifestyle. I sold $25,000, took $25,000 worth of music, went to a pawn shop to prove to her I had changed. And I went to the band I was with at the time and said, I'm done, guys. Oh, well, can't you just come around? No. They sparked bad memories with her. And I need to focus on restoring my family because I've been reading Ephesians, which talks about husbands loving your wife. And in that passage, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves his church and gave himself for it. Holy Spirit stopped me right there and said, says he gave himself for it. This question came in my mind. What did he give himself to for it? He gave himself to the will of his father. And he gave himself to the suffering of the cross and death. God said, you need to die, son. And I did. And, and I, I had to learn. What do you mean die? You know, <laughs> you know it, it, it's a good thing in Christ. <laughs> it's a good thing. In Christ. Die means I gave up on my selfishness. You know what? That music at that time was secondary to her. And I needed to show her that. And I bring that up because you all see me play play guitar up here. God gives you back things you love, by the way. You know, when Moses threw down his staff and it became a serpent, and God said, pick it back up again, and it became a staff. Music was a serpent to me in the late 80s and early 90s. The staff in my hand now. Because God gave it back to me. Because it was God who told Moses, reach down and pick it up. All right. So the, the uh, description, because I needed a D. <laughs> ABCs of the Book of Romans, ABC. I needed a D description. And because I'm geeky this way, 16 chapters, 433 verses, 9,447 words. And that's because I'm a geek. I just, when I, when I talk about I love getting into the Bible, I get into the Bible. Uh, the era being written from Corinth, 60 AD, Acts 22 to 3 is where you find that out. The focus theme of, Revela of, of Romans is the revelation of the righteousness of God and the gospel. That key verse is in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Key words in the book of Roman are God 166 times. Which I, I'll have a chart for you coming up here. We'll get to in a minute. That uh, there's no book even close. And then the other word 43 times righteousness. That's why I mentioned Christ is our righteousness. It's not about how good of a person I am. It's about, how, it's about God gave me his Righteousness. If I were to pull out a $1,000 bill and say, here, it's yours, you didn't work to do it. It's not because of what you did. I handed you $1,000. That's what God did with us, with his righteousness. Here, 
You say, well, then how be, why do we do the things we do? Why do we still mess up? Romans gets into that. So let's go to the next slide. What Romans shows us as disciples of Jesus through Paul. The overview of Romans, historically, it sheds light on the world and Christianity in Paul's day. And I shared with you earlier how, hey, it's very much like our day. Intellectually, it sheds light upon the mind of God and the mind of God, how God thinks about things. Theologically, it sheds light on the gospel and the righteousness of God that we get through it. Spiritually, it sheds light on how to live in the strength of the Spirit in the Christian walk. And practically, it sheds light of the gospel on the lost of our age. All that out of Romans. Romans has been called by many theologians over the years and scholars the absolute pinnacle of what the gospel is. By the way, Romans is the book that got a hold of Martin Luther when he challenged the Catholic Church with his 95 Thesis. That was the book of Romans that got a hold of him. The book of Romans got a hold of St. Augustine, which later in life, and we don't know this, God and Augustine do, that they say later in life Augustine converted to follow Paul. So it's a pretty important book. <clears throat> Outline of the book of Romans, I'm going to go through this real fast because if it don't, if you can't read it all. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. And the reason I'm giving you this overview is, like I said, I, I'm not, not going to be up here for weeks and weeks, you know, get going through Romans. Maybe at some point, you know, maybe Roger will, you know, let us do a Bible study or something on it or, you know, I don't know. But So what I want to give you is, is give you the flyby version of how important Romans is. Romans 1, uh, by the way, the purpose to be planted, rooted, unified, and fruitful in the gospel. It's the importance of a solid foundation. You folks that are my builders in here, you know, man, you mess the foundation up, that house is going to have problems forever. Foundation's a major issue. So Romans 1, pronouncement against ungodly man, how God views the ungodly Gentiles, and these are the people that, that don't have any use for God. That's Romans 1. You go through Romans 1, you think you're reading about our culture today. Romans 2, indictment of the moralist and the Hebrew. So in my study of Rome, the place, it, that, as it existed in, in Paul's day, these three groups, groups of people were, were there. The, the people had no use for God. The moralist was like that Seneca, the politician. A moralist or a stoic, as they call them, what they believe is the usefulness of something is determined by how valuable it is. Or the value, I, I flipped that around. The value, the value of something is determined by how useful it is. So if it's not useful, there's no value. Um, you kind of run into problems with that when you approach Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Peter, Peter says to Jesus, what about that other disciple? What will you have him do? Remember Jesus' response to him? What if I have him tarry, sit and do nothing until I come back? What is that to you? You follow me. 
God doesn't, it's not about a usefulness thing with God. And then he addresses the Hebrews in Romans 2. You get to Romans 3, everybody's guilty. The religious are guilty. The moralists are guilty. Obviously, lost man that has nothing, no use for, for God is guilty. The solution, justification, talks about how God deals with sin. Romans 4, how salvation is through justification. It's by grace through faith. We're introduced to that concept, not of works. Romans 5, our new standing, peace with God. By the way, the individual words in the Bible are important. This is not the peace of God. It's peace with God. And it talks about, hey, we're not at war anymore. Quit acting like God's <laughs> coming after you. If you're in Christ, peace. It's over. You say, yeah, but why do we fall into all the other things? Oh, that's coming. Keep going in Romans. Romans 6, walking out, we are dead to sin. How do you walk out, we are dead to sin? Well, I threw out the question earlier. It says, okay, well, if in Christ we have his righteousness, how come we're doing all, a lot of people do all this crazy stuff and, and mess up? Because they don't understand they're dead to sin. That's what Romans 6 brings out. You're dead to sin. Careful. Sin's not dead. You are. And then he goes in to tell the people in Romans, reckon yourself. You've got, you've got to count it that way. It's an accounting term. I, I, I gave you the illustration earlier of the $1,000 bill. If you don't take it from me, it's not going into your account. And he uses the illustration of a master-servant relationship. I'm pretty sure nobody in here, if your old boss from your last job came and told you to do something, that you'd drop what you're doing with your new boss and go do it. No, you'd say, hey, sorry, got a new boss. Don't work for you anymore. And that's how Paul talks about you're dead to sin. Sin is your old boss. You have a new boss now. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Then he gets into Romans 7. This one's... This one's this one's where a lot of, you can see a lot of things going on. Romans 7, what it means to be dead to the law. How to win the conflict between flesh and spirit. In that, that's, that's the chapter that uh, Paul comes in and says, you know, I don't do what I know I should do, and I wind up doing what I don't want to do. And then he ends that with, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? By the way, one of the penalties in the Roman culture to, a, uh, to somebody that was convicted was they would strap the dead body to him and make him walk through town with it. And then the, the germs and the things from the body would end up infecting. So Paul says, who's going to deliver me from that? <laughs> His answer I thank God that through Jesus Christ, with the mind, I serve the law of God. With the flesh, the law of sin. And see, we've spiritualized this too much, I think, in our day. Flesh is this. Yes, I understand all, all the things about selfishness and all that. No, there's something wrong with this material right here. 
You say, how do you know that? <laughs> I'm going to be 57 in a few days. I cannot do what I did at 36. I have things that uh, i got to go see doctors about because they say, hey, my family has uh, uh, cardiovascular histories, things like that. And at the end of the day, this body is going to break all the way down and I'm going to die as is everybody in this room. There's something wrong with it. It's broken. This is where sin resides. When you get up in the middle of the night, well, why do I want to have that whole pizza at 11.59 a.m.? What's doing that? It's, it, it's this, your body. Oh, feed me, Seymour. <laughs> sin resides there. So it's not only that we have a spiritual problem that we're dead, uh, spiritually without Christ. But once we do get the Spirit of God in us, Romans teaches us His Spirit communes with our spirit. So if you want to know, well, why doesn't God just make me do something? Well, number one, that wouldn't be love. That would be AI. Uh, it would be making a robot. And secondly, because God wants to partner with us. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing. The Bible teaches that God made Adam. He did that all by himself. He didn't need us. And then he put Adam to sleep. And then he made Eve. Did that all by himself. Didn't need us. And then he told them, be fruitful and multiply. Time out. Why didn't God just keep making people the way he did Adam and Eve? Because he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. And that's fellowship, by the way, too. That's another topic. <laughs> then Romans 8, ultimate victory is through the Spirit. How to be more than conquerors. That's what it talks about. We can be more, more than conquerors. When I drove that fuel truck I shared with you guys, I was known after 12 years of service as a guy who never made a mistake. That is not true. I did make mistakes, but they were very few and very far between. The reason I got known as a guy who didn't make mistakes, you guys have heard it in the news where somebody dumps diesel in a gas tank or gas in a diesel tank, pulls stuff you don't hear about, people pulling wrong product and all this other business, and it's very easy to mess up. What I got tired of hearing is guys that would routinely make mistakes, saying, well, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. You know, you know what my goal going to work every day was? No mistakes. They do damage, they cost money. And I'd have arguments with the guys. Well, you know, I only made three or four. Okay, so is that your standard? Because once you set that as the standard, three or, three or four, that's a good standard. Well, now you slip past that. Yeah, but I'm only two past four. Well, now you're at six. Well, if I make six mistakes, you know what, you know what John told us in 1 John? My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. That's the goal. But then he follows it. He said, but if you do, Got you covered. 
goal is, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then Romans 9, 10, and 11, if you see on the board, it's got a parenthesis in it. Because those are called parenthetical chapters. What I mean by parenthetical is they're explaining what he just covered through Romans 8 about the love of God and being more than conquerors and never letting you go. Now he's going to go jump into giving you an illustration of how he's never going to let Israel go. And so you could literally, if you read your Bible, you can go from the end of Romans 8 straight into Romans 12. And if those three chapters were in there, you wouldn't miss anything as far as as far as the details. Or you'd miss the details, but it clears right off from uh, Romans 8. No condemnation, no separation. Romans 12 starts out, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your body as a living sacrifice. You could, you could have that book without those three. The reason he goes into those three chapters is because he's teaching Gentiles, non-Jews, what God is going to do with Israel. And Romans 9 is where they stumbled in the Old Testament law. Romans 10 is their rejection of God at the time of Paul and the Gentiles provoking them to jealousy. And Romans 11 is the promised restoration, life from the dead concerning their future. Romans 12, our motivation for transformation, key word, therefore. Means everything, because of everything I've said to you up to this point, I beseech you, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Then he goes into Romans 13, our responsibility to society, be good subjects, do no evil. Romans 14, our relationship to other believers, follow after peace and avoid censorious judgment. That's a fancy word. Quit judging each other because you're a vegetarian and you think meat is good and you think they're crazy because they don't eat meat and you think they're crazy because they only eat vegetables. Stop judging each other that way. God says, you know what? You believe you can eat meat, you can believe you can drink wine, whatever you do that in your own house. You have that faith before God. But if it's something that genuinely causes a brother to stumble, you are not walking in charity if you do that. And when I use the word stumble, causing a brother to stumble, that is not somebody coming up to you. I don't think you should have a glass of wine. And if you don't, you're, you're causing me to stumble. You've offended me. That is not what that verse means. Causing somebody to stumble in the context of when it was written was Paul is talking about meat offered to idols. And what he said is, you know there's no God but one and that everything else is not God. He said the problem is if you eat that meat while it's being offered to the idol, he said your, your weaker brother doesn't understand that. Now he's going to eat it to that idol He's, he's going to burn his conscience. He, he, he's, gonna, he's, he's not going to be able to sleep. He's like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. He said, if, if it does that, no. No, don't do it in front of him. It, it, a lot of these passages are taken so far out of context to make them mean things they don't mean. Romans 14, or uh, Romans 15, Paul's exhortation example call to unity and where we fit in God's bigger plan. When you get to Romans 16, a lot of people, yeah, that's just how Paul here's greet 
greet Toby, greet this person, greet that person, blah, blah, blah. What, what, what's the teaching in that? You know what the teaching in that is? We were never designed to go it alone. Never. Rambo Christianity does not work, never will. And when I was in a service, they talked about the Rambos. The Rambos were the first ones dead in a firefight. And so that's the outline of, of, of the book of Romans. And I've got more on that. But, and we shared it in our, our fellowship class this morning. And this is where it ties into discipleship. Our, our discipleship plan is, is knowing, <laughs> growing, and, and going. But in the midst of that, if it's all about just learning what a book says, well, we can pass out books and send you home. That's not what it's about. It's about what we do in these classes that uh, appreciate Scott. You know, we have discussions. We get different takes on things. We, we get to look at things. And get to learn about something deeper. In some cases, we get to figure out, oh, you know what? This belief I had was wrong entirely. And the stuff I do, like, like you know, I, this is, I, I don't know if it's a gift. I don't know what it is. I, I absolutely love jumping into the Word of God and, and, and looking at things like this, digging up what the, the Greek is and the Hebrew meant and how it was translated and why it was translated the way it was, that's because I'm a geek and I love it. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, it, if, there, if there's a weakness I've got on that, it's, it's man, I can get hyper-detailed. I, I hope it wasn't too hyper-detailed to lose for you what I was trying to say. What I was trying to say goes back to what we built this thing on is... Paul said, I want to establish you. I want to share with you what I know of the gospel so that you can do what I do. Paul went all the way to death in front of Nero. I'm not saying God's going to have you be martyred, but you ought to be at the point where you could. And that's the ultimate goal. And Christianity is a pro process of, of growing. You know, when newborn spiritually. Peter said it, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Then you get into Hebrews, he talks about you should be at some point, get off milk and go on to meat. And the other thing that I bring this up for is about standing fast is because I think you all have seen, especially with the woke culture and things like that, it's becoming very hostile to certain Christian beliefs. Hostile. I mean, you've got you've got people taking Christians to to law because they won't make them a cake, and they're trying to wreck their businesses because of it. Wreck it. Uh, the thing about transgender items—they're trying to get it to the point that if if you in any way say something about trying to talk to somebody about maybe that's not the, the main issue, that they can come and charge you. 
I mean, we're getting dangerously close to some, some very, very tough times. And then the thing overarching all of it is us being unified, standing together. When this country was formed, it was Ben Franklin that had the statement and said, friends, countrymen, we must stand together. We must hang together or we will most assuredly hang separately. And they had differences of ideas and beliefs, but they hung together. They stayed together. And that's why, you know, I, I all week long, when, when God camped me on this, you know, I kept every day, I said, is this really where you want me to go? And, yep. Get up the next day, and I'd study what is the church, and I was doing different studies. And he said, you really want me to go? Yep. Because it's, it's in line with what Roger's talking about. Like I said, Ephesians, unity of unity. Endeavor. Endeavor means work at keeping unified. We're going to celebrate 36 years. It was 1992 when she came here to divorce me. This year will be our 36th anniversary. It's about unity. Keep it together. And the way you do that is, is we all submit to Christ. Roger's going to be getting into all the topics about husband loving your wives and what that means and wives reverencing the husband and what that means and that and that hopefully you're not, I don't know if you're listening Roger but hopefully that, you ready? That submission is not an evil word. It's not an evil word. By the way, I know a lot of people make much of wives submitting to the husband. Go back up a few verses. You know what it says there? Submit yourselves one to another. So guess what? Guys, we're submitters too. And with that, we are at 11.18. So let's pray. We'll get you guys out of here. Appreciate the opportunity to share the word of God with you. And I hope, I hope it had some impact on you. And I hope... I hope you will take the time, especially if you have some of the issues that we talked about. Well, how come I keep going into sin? How come I keep doing this? Man, Romans, man, Romans is a great book to help iron that out. And then talk with a fellow believer that's been walking a while. Because they can help give you some light on that. These fellowship groups help give you light on that. All of the things that are going on will help us grow together into up into a perfect man, as Ephesians talked about. Well, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just praise you and thank you for the opportunity to uh, just share your word. Talked about, you, you invite us to participate in what's going on with what you're doing. And, and this is my invitation from you that I, I, I'm very humbled because speaking these words, there's so much division in the world and, and, and people fighting over what they think things mean and, and, and fighting over it in un unhealthy ways, not, not having healthy debates, but, but divisive fighting. And help us to be on guard against that and help us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, as you said. And, and I do pray what Paul said for the Romans, for everybody in here, that it would help us to be rooted, planted, unmovable, and then unified in producing good fruit. 
for everybody here today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.